you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 389. My feet are tired because I went to a place that I almost didn't come back from today. Uh, Skydart and I are in Toronto. And we found the Pacific Mall in Markham. Is it Markham or Markham? <laughs> I like Markham better. <laughs> that's, a, that's if you're, uh, <laughs> that's when uh, Markham was in your entourage. <laughs> then you anything can go, with, yo, Markham! Anything with the word ham in it makes me. <laughs> what about John Ham? <laughs> the extra M's for it extra. Me, it makes me laugh and get wet. <laughs> what the fuck? Wait, what? What? Are you serious right now? What? 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 It should be someone like that cat, you could. It should be someone that. Thing. It should be someone that we wouldn't it's hang out with. It's in our DNA. When we're, when you hear the words John Ham, it just it just happens. You have ham DNA. <laughs> you have ham, <laughs> ham DNA. <laughs> See it fucking works every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well. All right, go anyway, we finish to, your intro. We went to the Pacific... Thanks. <laughs> we went to the Pacific <laughs> Mall today in Markham, and uh, it is an Asian mall that is a place that you never want to leave when you go in. It has everything. It's just, it's just filled with kiosks. I bought, uh, I bought Lego Batman DC Super Heroes 2... And I think I bought it in French, so it's like this game's gonna be like the like the older Lego games where they mumble, and it's not gonna make any sense to me. I need a French class stat, uh, so I highly recommend the Pacific Mall. We got a lot of good and green tea Kit Kats and jeans, milk candy. Oh, it was so great, so great! Uh, if you're in Canada, you should go there. And, uh, and and enjoy yourself. I would like to thank for sponsoring this episode uh, of the Nerdist Podcast. Comedy Central Stand Up Direct. This I am way behind this, especially because I happen to be on it. Uh, Mandroid is now available on CC Stand Up Direct for five bucks. It can be yours with unlimited downloads, streams on any device. Check it out. The website website's direct.cc.com. And right now, there's 22 other fantastic specials uh, that will. 
hopefully not eat into your podcast listening time, but I would understand if they did. Todd Berry specials on there. One Benjamin, Matt Bronger, Hannibal Burris, Bo Burnham, uh, me, Pete Holmes, Jeselnik, Kinane, Joe Coy, Kroll, Al Madrigal, Dimitri, TJ, Merman, uh, John Mulaney, Kumail, Jeff Ross. I'm just going to read them all because they're all fantastic. Uh, Jeff Ross, Kristen Shaw, J.B. Smoove, Nick Swardson, Paula Tompkins, uh, and, and Tosh. So that is right now at direct.cc.com. And uh, thank you so much to Comedy Central, not only for putting it up there, thanks for giving me a show, but how about we start there? Uh, but then also thanks for putting this special up on uh, Comedy Central Stand-Up Direct for five bucks. This episode is Ken Levine, who is uh, one, uh, one of the co-founders and the creative director of Irrational Games. Irrational is responsible for Bioshock. Uh, Chloe and I played the shit out of Bioshock Infinite. It's one of my favorite games of all time now, and... Um, this is actually very timely because there are some there's some DLC so if you have the season pass there's some DLC that's available uh, Clash in the Clouds which looks to me just from the YouTube video that I saw looks basically like um, like a combat mode uh, and then also Burial at Sea which seems to take place uh, it seems to be Rapture related so if you're a fan of Bioshock those happen to come out today uh, so this is the perfect time to release the Ken Levine Podcast, who was fantastic, by the way. Uh, there are tons of spoilers in here for Bioshock Infinite because we grill him on all the stuff we wanted to know. And if you have the guy who's a creative director, you're going to pin him down and ask these questions. Uh, we pinned him down gently. We just said John Hamm, and then he went limp, and then we just asked him a bunch of questions. Uh, and then also, Ken is uh, is writing uh, Logan's Run. They're doing another Logan's Run, and he is writing it uh, because uh, he does not have any problem whatsoever with good story because uh, the Bioshock series is freaking phenomenal and uh, and he's also a huge sci-fi geek so this was a blast uh, and uh, you can follow Ken on Twitter at IG Levine, that would be Irrational Games Levine uh, and here you go Nurse Podcast number 389 with Ken Levine good talk, we had a very good talk Now entering Nerdist.com Um, Ken Levine has joined us in the, I don't know what to call this, Cloud City. I, I mean, we've, it's, <laughs> it's, it, oh, it's, man, it's come Bespin. On. It's Did you just reference Bespin. Bioshock? What? Did you just reference uh, Bioshock? I was referencing uh, Empire. Empire. Oh, em- Empire oh. Strikes Back. Uh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I know. My bad. Yeah, no worries. Because <laughs> um, we, uh, that's the gray hair in the room. Like, oh, what do you mean? Bioshock. No, it's Bespin. It's Bespin. <laughs> so what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> you old pirate. What do you uh, we just shot a video with him for to um, to promote our lightsaber relay run. We recreated the cantina and had this guy who made all these creatures for a Volkswagen commercial let us use like 18 of his cantina creatures. And we had Billy D. Williams singing. Like we right. basically created what was like, hey, what if it were karaoke night at Mos Eisley? And so we had him singing and all the creatures. And guess, it was. Guess who he played? I had to play Han. Oh. He's had to. You were forced. I I tried to get Nathan Fillion to do it. I was like, he'd be a much better Han Solo. And it was literally only one that didn't have. I was gonna. I would have just been in the background. I didn't give a shit. I don't know what part to feel bad about. I said, well, I tried to get Nathan Fillion to play, but I guess I had. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm so tired of taking Nathan's parts. 
just again and again. Okay, Fillion, I will take another part for you. Well, you're mistaken for him all the time. Too, right? I mean, it's, it's really it's, embarrassing. It's constant. Now. Yeah, it's constant. People, I'm like, no, not Castle. I'm not Castle. <laughs> Um, but it's really great to have you here. Can we had a we had a conversation right after I started playing Infinite, which I gotta say was um, it's fucking unreal. That game is unreal, and I'm sure it's gonna win all the awards. Um, and then when we talked, by the way, I will tell people that there will be spoilers in this podcast because you know we're gonna talk about stuff. It's been two months. Get over it. It's been- <laughs> That's a, see, money. You should take that quote and put it on the front of the box for Bioshock it's Infinite. Been two months, it's been two months. Get over it, Ken Levine. <laughs> if I if I tweet anything, still, if I tweet anything remotely spoiler, like even my followers, like, what? How did you spoil the game? I'm like, yeah. you're my follower. If you're not going to buy the game by now, you're probably not going to buy it. I had no idea the Chicken Lady played Bioshock Infinite, which was the voice you just did. Why did you play that? How could you play? But you told me when I was talking to you, I was about. I was actually. Just about to enter Comstock House, mm-hmm. and you said, yeah. "Okay, look, you're either gonna fucking hate my guts for the ending, or you're gonna love it." And I, how many people hated it? Are there people who hated the ending? I think there are people who who I think there were some people who were oh devastated they, by like the the of what happened, not mad at you. No, I no, I think there were people who thought who didn't. They were frustrated that they didn't like get like it, it wasn't fully on. Un- clear right. to them and they didn't like the fact that there was sort of a bit of opacity there mm-hmm. and so i think there were some people who were really like no i don't get this but you know what's so great about it is that that is essentially like theoretical physics it's just trying to wrap your mind around like schrodinger's cat stuff like oh is it okay so there's all these different parallel things and when they're observed then this reality can happen and this reality but it was just the idea of and then what i loved about it is that it it just totally brought the title and you're like, oh, got it. Like to me, to me, it just wrapped everything up in a nice in a nice little bow. Well, I mean, this is the thing about quantum mechanics is live as little as I understand of it. Every time I try to understand it, your brain just wants to say like, no, no don't don't. It's OK, Ken. Don't don't try to figure this out. Pretty boy. It's cause like people call me pretty boy. Of course. Yeah. Well, um, like I'm Fillion. Yes. Yeah. We have this problem. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, everyone. Please. <laughs> Please just let us be alone with our looks. Our I'm just swooning. I can't yeah. stop swooning right oh, I now. I think it's because there's no air in oh, here. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's one of those things you start. Like we had a we had a, um, a physicist come in from MIT just as a consultant, and I she'd start to talk, and it is just one of those things that your brain really is just not real, not under, not designed to understand. I think a lot of theoretical physicists don't understand don't understand. It. No. They're like, well, it's or I mean, because there's no. Um, I remember the, the first time I tried to read a book on when they were searching for the Higgs boson in like 91, it was this book dates back to 91. It took me forever to read the book because every time you, you, you have nothing, I had nothing to relate it to. It is so foreign of a concept to what we experience that I kept having to stop and be like, okay, what can I compare this to? I have nothing to anchor this to, to try to go, oh, this is what it is. I think actually the best explanation I ever read is, of any of this kind of stuff, is what Moore did in Watchmen. You know, the Dr. Manhattan stuff. Right. Did a pretty good job of getting a sense of what it was like to be a person who could experience time in a different, you know, not not as a linear, with with a giant blue penis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Which is also somebody you're mistaken for. I, I, Constantly. <laughs> I'm mistaken for the penis. <laughs> yeah. It's really blue. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan's dick, what are you doing around? Leave me alone. I'm trying to exist here and on Mars. I'm, I'm going to build an ice castle on Mars, and then I'll be back after uh, everyone. I'll take, I'll take the heat on this one, and then I'll come back in a century or so. Um, but it, it really was... I mean, I, I thought the story was cool, but I also just... I mean, the, the game design was just stunning. Stunning. And you said, how long did you say you guys worked on? Uh, like four and a half years. It was a long, it was a long cycle. Yeah. Are you just over it by the end? Are you like, I can't, I'm just, you're over it, but you're also like, if you really love a game you're working on, you're really passionate about it. You could always spend more time on it. And so like, they really had to pull it. Like it was a, there was a pencils down moment in like December for me. Cause I had to go down the press tour and you're really and even now I can't really play for anything I work on because you always look back on I wish I had time to do this I wish I had time to do that but that can go on forever at some point you know you got to say you know okay enough's enough move on yeah did uh, were what were were there some elements that you were really attached to that you just couldn't I I guess this isn't just for BioShock but as someone when you're when you're creating a game and you're literally building the universe you must have some ideas going in like here's a thing that I want to happen and then once the rest of the story kind of starts revealing itself, you, do you have other things that you're like, shit, I guess I got to let this thing go that I loved? Yeah, you, look, you run, out of, you run out of narrative room, you know? Sometimes like, like Daisy Fitzroy is a character who I, I wish I had more time, more running time to develop, but you have to make choices along the way. Like it really, at the end of the day, it was like people asked me as we were developing and like, oh, is this a game about American exceptionalism? Is this a game about quantum mechanics is a game of this and at the end of the day it was really a game about booker and elizabeth mm-hmm. it's really about their story and everything else was secondary to that story and the story of, of you know, what happened to booker and how he became spoilers everybody so turn it off don't don't yell at me um <laughs> how he became comstock and 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 that moment that that moment of of, of bifurcation but um I, so you have to make choices and you choose like any other creative endeavor. You say, well, what's, what matters here? Do you want to go further in that story, further in this story, or do you want to stay with Booker and Elizabeth? And we always would choose Booker and Elizabeth. But what's awesome about games rather than movies, I mean, movies don't really have an equivalent to this, but with games, you'd be like, man, I'll just toss in the DLC. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you wanted to really go into Daisy Fitzroy's story a little bit more, you could always just do a DLC pack. You know? Yeah. The, the, there's other places we, but, um, one of my guys wrote a, a book, um, a short, extended short story about Daisy and there's a board game coming out and there's got, could be comic books maybe. And, you know, you have all these other places you, you could do that stuff. But the problem with, you know, telling a story, particularly in games, is that it's it's telling any story is really expensive, like yeah. hugely expensive. It's, you know, so you have to really, you have to, you have to make your choices. Mm-hmm. We are um, cosplaying. Here's the, <laughs> this is a very awkward story. story. We decided to cosplay as Booker and Elizabeth. No, really. Before we had finished the game, and so <laughs> shut up, Pat. And so started making, so started having, started making the costumes, and then we're, we're way too far along. Where then we're like, she's his what? <laughs> We get to the end, and I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. Oh, You're like planning a romantic evening around yeah. the costumes. Oh, no. so, so we're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, and if there's any point where we're like making out of these characters, we're like, this was before we finished it. Before, <laughs> this is, a, is there any reality where they're not that related in that way? Some, there's got to be some reality. Yeah. Where they're... I mean... Well, people ask me all along when I was made, like, oh, so so tell me about the romance. And I'm like, because I obviously couldn't 
like saying right. whether of course there's not yeah. right um but that was an awkward question and i sort of had to figure out how to answer that question without telling people what, what when i first started hearing about the game i remember i was looking it up like i was so excited about this and then i saw somebody was saying that the relationship between booker and elizabeth was like a father-daughter i actually read something like that i remember reading that and i was like oh man bummer but i totally it blew my mind even even though i'd heard that i still didn't even think that that was the case like yeah it was it was weird because usually you expect a you know an attractive male an attractive female character in any kind almost any kind of media Mm -hmm. there'd be some kind of of connection there but i found actually writing it there's a look in any kind of setup when you're telling a story there's always a it takes work to get a romance going like, you know, like, like they have to, or, or it just feels fake, you know, mm-hmm. like romance happens usually, you know, game is what, eight hours long, 10 hours, 12, 15 hours, whatever it is, or a movie two hours long. There's, there's always a bit of forcing that goes on there. Things happen very quickly, certainly falling in oh, love. Yeah. I mean, people could be attractive, but falling in love in that period of time is actually a very limited period of time. It's really, there's some artificiality there, but having the kind of relationship they, I found it very natural to write that kind of intimacy between the two of them because I didn't even have to incorporate that element, but they still felt to me like very much like when you find out their, their relationship, it's, at least to me, it felt like it was, it worked and I didn't have to sort of, it would have been an extra layer, even if in a totally different story to write that romantic element on top of it. There's gotta be one universe where they're in bed together and Comstock comes in and he's like, Oh no. (laughs) Should have mentioned something. (laughs) Oh Oh no! There's always old boy. <laughs> well, it. Uh, I. I. I was. I was trying to figure out how smashed. How many universes he had smashed through from the very beginning, from when we first see him, or what if it was recursive, or if you know. Uh, but just the idea of like, oh, you know, it's okay. Every time he gets a nosebleed, that's a whole. That's a whole different universes set of experiences that are like mashing into his brain. Did you have any, did you have it mapped out somewhere or is it sort of nebulous? We had, we did a lot of whiteboard mapping stuff out because frankly for us, we had to keep it, you know, as we developed it, we had to keep it all in our heads. Like everything, it's all like, there's, as far as I know, there's almost no, um, like ever, there's no, there is nothing that doesn't actually make sense, like from from a pra- logical, practical standpoint. Some of it's fairly o- opaque in terms of how we chose to tor- tell the story. Like, for instance, you know, there's a element of Comstock's past and why he's as racist as he is, which is really buried very deep. But it's it's there. It's just buried very very deep, and only a couple of people have picked up on it. But we mapped everything. There's lots of whiteboards and lots of drawings and lots of like you know lines and this going like, back and forth. Why they have to be whiteboards? Uh-huh. What? Why they have to be whiteboards? <laughs> Did Comstock make that up? You know, I the game. I'm obviously. I, I didn't pick. I never picked up on that. Like, what was it? What? What? I mean, yeah. since you're since we're talking about there's, stuff. It, no, there's an audio log where he talks about um, being in the army and how people would how the implication is that people thought he was had Native American. They Native American blood. blood so right. A, a teepee in his family tree, and his reaction. What he did at Wounded Knee was to show people. That he was on on their team. Oh, he just got yeah. super racist. Yes, and and you know that sort of goes back to if you look at like you know like um, oh god, who is that politician? He died. Um, he ran for president in forty eight. Um, um, he was married to. He had a he had a black child, and he ran on a segregationist platform. And in, in um, oh, 
you know, there's overcompensation. The Ted, yeah. the Ted Haggards of the world. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Um, yeah. And Tiny you know, dick. These, yeah, these guys, these guys are all constantly overcompensating for right. the fact that there's something about themselves that they feel. Gays shouldn't marry. And then that guy's blowing a dude in the yeah, bathroom yeah. kind well, of thing. Did you hear to- what happened recently that the, uh, the, the, the main people that were trying to turn gays straight, I can't remember the name of it. Exodus. Exodus. Yeah. Exodus, yeah. They just, the guy came out and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm actually gay. Like, he's and I'm like, is, I'm really is, sorry, is, you guys. I figured there was a, is that what happened? Because I, I read his That's apology, but did he, yeah, did he acknowledge he being gay? He said, I've been trying to fight the urges for a long time. And like, yeah, he just seemed, he was really genuinely sorry. And that just happened. It's crazy. Yeah. That you guys so that was make the, that reference. That was the, uh, so that was that, because I, I do remember that audio log. Yeah, I've just always been interested in these people who, instead of just accepting what the hell they are, they they go through all these sort of backward handstands to like, Hey, I'm gay. It's all right. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Instead you have to like create this ridiculous life where you're teaching people how to come out of homosexuality through some kind of conversion therapy, which of course doesn't exist, you know, (laughs) causing endless amounts of misery, you know, instead of just saying, Hey, I'm gay. It's cool. Or Hey, I'm a native American. It's cool. And and Comstock was, you know, I don't necessarily know how easy at the time, you know, like that was, people ask me about the racism in the game and the game is not like the world of Columbia is not particularly racist for the time it was. I mean, there were certain parts of the country and and casual racism was very, 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 it was a standard then the notion of, you know, somebody being, you know, Irish or Jewish or or native American that, you know, there was, it was openly racist at the time. And 1912, I think people thought we were trying to make a larger point than we actually were as compared to trying to actually just portray the period as it, as it was. I'm not just being like postmodern, you know, knee-jerk lefty here. It really just was, you know, a time where that was just a casual part of, of, of society. But yeah. the earlier Bioshocks were kind of – I mean I don't know necessarily if, necessarily if they were making a statement. But I mean, you know, with the Ayn Rand novel and all, all of the correlations there, I feel like – you know, kind of expect big statements from Bioshock. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the it, it it I think part of it is a function of that. Yeah, we sort of we sort of set ourselves up for that. Yeah. Like you know we, that that we, that we that we sort of do that. And I, I think probably being as much of a history nerd as I was, as I wrote the thing, it, it seemed very natural that that would be a part of that mm. society. Um, where and that's why every time we showed something, people would react to, "Oh my God, this is what the game's about. This is what the game's about." And for me, the game is always about Booker and Elizabeth. But I can't really blame people because um, so I think that the average person doesn't necessarily like, you know, have a, a really clear picture of 1912 and, and what it was like. Right. And generally, when media does show something like racism, it sort of becomes the the, the focus. The focus because yeah. it's such a hot button topic. The only thing I remember about 1912 is that the Titanic is unsinkable. <laughs> <laughs> and that the heart of the ocean lies at the bottom of the ocean because she had to let Jack go. She had to let him go. That is the only thing that matters about 1912. <laughs> that was the only thing that matters. About- That's the 1912. I know. But if you're saying there's some other fucking world up in a cloud, Ken, okay. I'm fine with that. You're okay with that? Yeah, you're I'm okay, okay with that. it. That's suspended by, by some sort of a quantum... Uh, um, uh, 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 idea that just keeps everything held in place. Science. Yeah, science. it's science. It's science. totally, it's totally science. I, I'm waiting for the day when someone like yourself comes along and you're like, well, I want to write this game, and here's the science that's involved in this game, and then they're helping you write it, and then they discover something. <laughs> where, just, well, actually, we found. So I had this. So I had this sort of the, the theory for how the city was held up is like something I sort of like made up and pulled out of my butt, and then I went to talk to the. Um, 
that it was this particle that was constantly be moving. There was a single particle that was constantly stay, moving backwards in time, at, like a second back in time, each second that went by. So it was basically staying in, in position. Because it never falls, because it never goes right. forward. It, it, oh, that's mind bendy. So I thought I thought of that like, oh, I'm really smart. And then I actually talked to the physicist and she's like, well, yeah, sort of, kind of. But then there's like five other hundred issues that would cause problems. But then did you, I saw this. There's this YouTube video, this thing called um, Quantum tunneling levitation no quantum levitation where, where there's actually they have this disc that's suspended like and it's like it's like a, it's like a drop piece of dry ice or something it's suspended over a magnetic field and it floats and like it sits there and you can like turn an angle and oh, it would yeah. sit there I've and it'll float. Uh, really continue cool. a continual have you ever seen it i have not science man it's like science it's, it's real mind-blowing god damn it but but it is but I, I do believe that i do believe that more scientists should work with artists because the artists are the ones that don't have – they don't necessarily think scientifically right away. They just go, oh, what if this were possible? And then some scientists can come along and go, oh, actually, I might be able to connect the dots for you and figure that out. I mean that's what we did on both these games. Basically, I thought of some big stupid idea and I talked to some scientists. They go, well, you know, if you do this well, – after Bioshock 1, Wired wanted to do an interview about the science of Bioshock 1. And, and I was like, well, you know – you can modify your genetics all you want, but bees are never going to fly out of your hand, no matter what right, you do. Right. And so it was a little awkward because I think they thought I had really thought it out to a degree that I had not thought it out to. That's um, hey, Kyle. Can you? What, is there music playing down there? Yeah, yeah, we go, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just go ask him to turn it down. Um, no, how about this? You demand. Put your foot down. I will get satisfaction in a nice way. Um, but I want to. What? I have a quick question, really quick. Sure. Okay. Um, there's a part when the songbird dies and he makes this, he makes a screechy noise, yeah. but in the, I think it, you see what he knows about that. Sorry, let me explain. You can hear the sound, the exact same sound that the songbird makes in that game in the first game. Here's the thing I won't, I won't talk about. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to like, like one thing that I think is. I like about the game is that people have a lot of theories about various things. Like, like there are things that are factual, like Comstock talks about, you know, being potentially native American. That's like in a log, but I don't want to like say yes or no to things oh, that are, are more opaque, but okay. I, I love the fact that people are debating like this stuff because it's, it, it lets them like, I'm a guy like, I'm like a 2001 guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Paul Thomas Anderson, the master guy. I'm like a guy who likes that opacity and things. Mm-hmm. And so I've been really trying to avoid getting involved in like, you know, like going out in interviews and saying this means that, or, Oh, that's true. Or, you know, the people, there's a lot of theories and, you know, maybe true, maybe not about like the, um, you heard about the 122 theory. No, you, um, there's some bells at the beginning of the game and you go into the lighthouse mm-hmm. and you hit the first one once, the second one twice and the third one twice. And then there's, um, when you meet the Lutesses the second time, when they have the, the coin flip thing, yeah. there's 122 marks on the... Uh, oh, wow. And so, you know, there's a, there's a debate going back and forth about the meaning of that. And people ask me, you know, what, you know, what does it mean? And I don't want to... I'd rather people... What does it matter what I think? So I have a you question know, for you then. As, as a storyteller, it, um, at what point do you feel that a storyteller has a responsibility to share things with the audience and not share things with the audience? For instance, you know, like... Um, like, you know, midichlorians. We didn't, do we really need to know what the force was? I don't know. You know, probably not. Yeah. But but then 
you know, when, uh, so like, we're fine just knowing like, well, there's a force in the universe. And then I've heard other people, like people on shows, people on people who write on shows or who write movies that have a certain amount of, you know, a mysterious element that they never explain. And they go, oh, well, you know, it's sort of like the force. And, th- and then sometimes you go, no, but that you should explain. Like, where do you, where do you feel the responsibility lies with the storyteller to like, what information do you think the person should have? Well, this, I mean, this is interesting because, you know, I think it's a great, I think it's a great question because at the end of the game, I think there's a lot of people who were frustrated because like, well, I want to know, like, well, I don't understand. What does this mean? What does that mean? And part of it is the quantum mechanics thing. It's just that even if I explained it, it wouldn't make any sense because people generally, unless they have, and I'm not one of those people, I'm not claiming I have this background, but unless you have a deep background in quantum mechanics, it doesn't, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Like the idea of infinite realities, which is sort of mathematically, well, there's a there's a many worlds theory, mm-hmm. and certainly something is going on. That light is both, you know, light when it's observed is both a, um, a, a particle and and a wave. Mm-hmm. Like that's true, at least from a math as much as we can mathematically know, and that has certain implications. Now, one implication may be that there's infinite number of universes, and there are these sort of infinite splits for every microcosmic decision can be made splits into another into the other universe. That's called the, the many worlds theory. Whether that's true or not is is a is is up for debate. Whether that's true, but it is true that light is both a part can be observed both uh, simultaneously as a particle and a wave in, in two different states, and that's where you know Schrodinger's cat is, mm-hmm. is sort of comes from that, that that thought experiment comes from that. So there are things that like just are inexplicable about it, just because we're not brains aren't really designed to know. But then there's things about you know, well, what is what is the ending? You know, where you see? Did you guys see the coda? Where yes, goes, yes, you know? where he goes into the room and oh, she's yeah, in yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's that about? Well, is she in there? I mean, that's a, that's that's another question. You know, he says Anna. He says Anna, but you don't actually is she in the is she in the cradle? Oh, so is that is that a little quantum mechanics Easter egg? Is she, uh, that's what people when people ask when people ask me is she in that cradle? Well, is the cat? Yeah, in, in the in the um. Oh, I, I'd love to know with something like this where where you start this yeah, story, seriously. like because the idea um, when I when I sort of was able to grasp the idea of, you know, and I think I'm right about this, that, um, that Elizabeth has the ability to, uh, make tears because she, her finger gets cut off in it in, when they made a mechanical tear. And so now she's existing in two different universes. And so now that means that she's spread out across, like mm-hmm. she has the ability to cross the universe. Is that, uh, is that, a, a, an idea that, you had to stumble upon to justify it or for early on were you like, this is going to be the thing that basically unfolds the whole story. So the pinky actually was a way for us to explain visually what she was. That came on super late. If you go back and you look at earlier demos and I'll be honest here, we didn't have that notion in earlier demos because we didn't, we were going, okay, we're going to have to explain all that. We knew we were going to a place where we have to explain it, but what you have to explain and how you explain it, it's critically important how you explain it. It doesn't matter what you're explaining if you don't have a good way to explain it. So that's something that occurred to me on a run that we could have a visual element that you had seen the entire time that um, would both explain that's the moment you realize who she is, that this is that the baby is, is Elizabeth, but it also is the sort of the explanation, you know, the background of the explanation of why, you know, why she, how she exists in multiple universes. But we knew we had to have her, we knew we wanted her to be a re we needed a reason why she was special. And we just sort of for the longest time said, we'll figure that out. Um, <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't have that. And that's sort of, 
when well, you... it goes back to your question that you were asking, like, where, where do you feel the responsibility to explain everything? And you, uh, I mean, she could have just been. That was definitely one of those things. I, 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 but that's one of those things you have to, I feel like you have to try yeah, to I... explain. You can't not, you're just be like, because if you don't, if you, if you can't wrap your mind around why she has that ability, then it's just like a deus ex machina. And it's like, oh, so right, she's yeah. just a weird freak? You're completely right. I think we knew we needed to explain that. We could, I don't think – I think if we just said she's just a unique snowflake, that, that probably wouldn't have, have – the audience, I think, would have rightly probably said, hey, you know, you guys go fuck yourselves. Right. <laughs> think about this. But – so we knew we had to explain something about why she was. It just happened that all those things sort of dovetailed into explaining – you know. That moment explained a bunch of things for us. Um, you know that it was that when you saw you know the finger Jane chopped off, you had seen her with her finger off the whole time. But that was something we came in fairly late, and all of a sudden we realized she, we wanted her missing a finger, and so all those animations where you see her like you know at the very Spending beginning the reacting to that stuff, we added very relatively late in the day because we it became the way we could explain all this stuff. But I also thought like oh well, it's also a nice character thing for her, and it's a nice mystery. That's hiding in plain sight the entire time. But it, it was one of those things that we knew we had to explain. We just didn't honestly know how to. Well, in a minute, I'm going to I'm gonna get up by a second because I'm sure you probably have talked about it a lot in the last several months. But I do have one more question, which is um, – and then, and then I asked Reddit to ask some questions because they – uh, they had questions, and I want I want I want people to, <laughs> I thought, I thought. you know, that was Chloe's idea, and so uh, and I actually did get a bunch of questions, so I want to I want to I want to in our gaming good I wanna, ones, not scary ones, not, not yeah. scary ones, um, <laughs> but scary. but it's just from a just from a, a, a just from a creator standpoint was was the seed of the note was the notion of this game, like what was your original idea when you first had the concept of this game? Was it to tell the story of choices and redemption and changing and, or was it, well, we're going to want to have this game. That's sort of a, you know, a guy running through this world and there's a, what's the opposite of underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, 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 what was the, where, where did the idea uh, originate? There's a, a napkin that our art director did. Uh, Scott Sinclair did. And I wish I could, I had a visual for you here, which when we started working, it was a, a, a like a wave and then a house. This was the art direction Bible for Bioshock Infinite. It was a, a wave and then a little house at the bottom of, underneath the water. And it said no. And then a a wave and a cloud and a, and a house above it. And you said yes. So basically, that, that was the, the art direction. Of underwater. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we, we – um... oh, here it is. Oh, you have it? Oh, my gosh. Here. Thanks, Mary. Oh, my wife shit. just found it. That's really funny. <laughs> that is, did you, have you posted this anywhere online? Yeah, yeah. You guys can if you want to. If I can get it to you. Yeah, I would love to. Well. That's, That's really funny. Um, yeah, so Scott Sinclair, Sinclair had that. And it's like it's like he wrote it. It's like you can see like food stains on it and stuff. He, like, <laughs> he did it at lunch someday. Um, but, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do something. We knew the, the only thing we had at the beginning is we liked the, the city and we liked the time period. Because it was sort of a really untouched time period besides, as you said, the, the pearl, the blue Oh, the ocean. heart of the ocean. The heart of the ocean. Yeah. So you got that. You got that. That's close to your heart. I could say you got that. You, right yeah. Now. Near, far, wherever you are. I can't, I can't wait for the Titanic video game. I believe that. <laughs> Who do you think would make the Titanic video game? What studio do you think could make the Titanic video oh, game? Fuck. Spoiler alert. We're doing it. <laughs> what? Shit. Well, they did. Another they did project. the Douglas Adams. Another like underwater. They did. They did. <laughs> we, I've talked about this on podcast before. One of my favorite games was an adaptation of Doug, Douglas Adams' story with Starship Titanic, and they did a bit like a PC game, Starship Titanic, and it's it's fucking gorgeous. Did you ever play it, Kyle? I haven't 
have it. I, I, it's really cool. But basically, you're on this, and and I think it's Terry Jones. Maybe it's one of the Pythons, but I think it's Terry Jones. Um, it kind of narrates the game, and you're alone on this this Starship Titanic, and it's a puzzle game, and you have to go through and oh, cool. do a bunch of crazy shit. But it's fucking gorgeous. I mean, it was sort of like imagine a Douglas Adams version of like Mist. It's like in the 90s? Yeah, late 90s. I, I yeah, remember playing it on, cool. on PC Starship Titanic, and it's a fucking gorgeous game. And um, and so uh, I always – I love that. So they someone did a version of it, but no, well, I don't, no one's we done that. We should the, remake it and put zombies do on it. it. I'll tell you what would happen is James Cameron would just be like, I'm going to invent a game engine. <laughs> <laughs> At the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just fucking do it. Like, I can, love having Cameron Kyle just, in here. I always feel like I have to outlaugh Kyle. Now. You can't. I don't think I can. You can't outlaugh Kyle. Look, basically, That's we're we're just behind. You know, we're just whatever Cameron does. You know, he did underwater, and we five years later, we did underwater. <laughs> he did the, he did Avatar. He did. You know, we're in the sky. Now in we're the in the clouds. Now you're in the clouds. Um, you know, we we just had, we like the period. We felt it's an, it was fairly untapped. Like not a lot of people have done games in this period. We like the art from the period, like all the all the forward looking art from the period. You saw like lots of idealistic like science fiction and the notion of a city in the clouds and sort of that sort of religious elements sort of came out of that. I'm so bummed because I bought the Bioshock soundtrack hoping to get uh, God Only Knows the quartet version of it and it's not on there and i imagine because it's probably a really hard to license to sell that yeah we would i love to do that soundtrack. The, the, the econ- i know i know i've watched it many the times. economics of doing that soundtrack would be like oh yeah deadly but like, those that are soundtrack is so amazing i mean it's chilling like all of the songs on there and and elizabeth's cover that song isn't she great courtney the draper oh, she yeah, is courtney, beautiful she- voice it's insane we um that was like my favorite like like the reason I put that video at the end I was like like because usually like you're in you're in a studio you and like five hundred other nerds and you're like hanging out one day with like these two like beautiful actors and they start like singing and playing guitar together and and you're like you kind of feel like you're with hanging out with the popular kids all of a sudden so I'm like oh I want to prove I hung out with the popular kids so I put that video at the end. <laughs> that's right and Troy Baker was the voice Troy, yeah. yeah we just saw Troy eighty yeah, three he's such a nice guy. And 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 the, the the acting in the game is is fantastic as well. It's just a, all around. It's just a great game, and I'll just I'll slobber all over that game's knob forever. I don't care. I mean, I was bummed when I finished it because I'm like, <laughs> now I'm done. What what do you have a favorite uh, um, vigor weapons combo? I like the crows. Oh, you like you like, like crows. crows, and I always like a shotgun. I go back to Doom. You yeah, know, with shotguns. I just like. Crows, birds, shotguns. I was shotgun and sniper. Yeah, were my two favorite. And then uh, I love I love bucking bronco and hell's kiss. Those are my two. Like you raise them in the air and just fucking light them up. Those are those are my faves. We're gonna get a we're we're um we're making those vigor bottles for the devil's kiss. We're gonna sell them. I'll send you. I'll send you a. Thank. What's what? What's gonna be in it? You'll have to drink it. Oh shit. And then my arm starts getting all crazy and, and weird. Yeah, you guys would make the best cocktails. We had actually at our at our Bioshock One launch party, they had somebody, some like I don't know what do you call it, um, caterer made like plasmid themed cocktails. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. They were good. We should just we should just do a pop up bar like Comstock House, and then just fucking everything oh, yeah. inside. Just, you'll come back and be a nerd, the next nerdist thing. You're just like you'll find that your team has already done it. <laughs> I know that's what happens here. Like you guys already did a Comstock House. Yeah, it was great. Was where, where were you? <laughs> um, but uh, I want to sort of you know just because I, I th- there's so many areas that I want to ask things I want to ask you about, and then and then we'll get to some Reddit questions. But um, uh, so you 
you did you start in the gaming industry or you were right i mean i know you i was like a 97 maybe it was a rational go back to 97 yeah we started in 97 yeah yeah but then before that was it was it uh, did you want to write for television and film where i'm leading with this is logan's run but uh but (laughs) but um did you want to do television and film and you're like you know i think there's a lot of really great narrative things to be happening because you know in the 80s there wasn't as much you couldn't really tell as much of a story in video games just because of technological limitations but in the 90s is that where you're like i want to do theatrical stuff but i really feel like there's a future with gaming i mean i was a screen i i was like you know i was um i was i moved to la in like 89 or something like a long time ago when i got out of college a couple years then i got out of college and i got a job writing a movie for paramount like some horrible romantic a rewrite of some horrible romantic comedy did it get made it was like it was it was terrible and i made it slightly less terrible um, <laughs> and it was really it was really like i was young and i was like i came out here and like all of a sudden i had all these new buddies who were taking me to spago and they really <laughs> liked me and then it turns out like i was just the you know kid writer new writer number 7942 and it was kind of heartbreaking for me and um and i kind of i like kind of freaked out and like bailed like i just was not ready i thought i I was not ready for that intersection of art and commerce at the time. I was just mm-hmm. too young for it. And I went, I was like, I became a computer consultant and like graphic designer for like seven years. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, I'm like going to turn 30 and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I applied for a job at this company looking glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was like 28 or 29, I got the job. And then like a year and a half later, I started um, irrational. I, I, I just always played games. I don't think I was even thinking about being a storyteller in games. I think that's probably why they hired me, but I just wanted to, I just thought it was cool to make games. And then I realized once I got in that the, as you said, the bar was pretty low at that point for, for storytelling in games. And I, as a guy who loved film and loved TV, the kind of stories that I liked, I didn't really see represented. Like, you know, the first game I worked on was a game called Thief. And it's basically this film noir character. You know, he's basically like a Sam Spade or, you know, any you know film noir detective character. And I basically just lifted that whole idea out of film noir and put it into a, you know, a medieval setting. And it was felt original and unique, not because I sort of came up with film noir, just because I figured out like, oh, this whole kind of storytelling is just not, doesn't exist in games. Games are at that point were very much like, you know, either space aliens or, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Or just some sort of a side scrolling thing where you're like, yeah, you just go through and shoot stuff and then there's punch a stuff. there's a goal at the end. Yeah, you kick and punch and shoot and then yeah. it's there, there just wasn't the place there wasn't room to tell any story, you know, there or, or the mechanism to tell any story really. You know, there wasn't the technology to tell the story. There's such a huge responsibility with the video game because you know, the movie, it's an hour and a half to two and a half hours of someone's life. <laughs> And they're basically just a voyeur. And with a video game, people are – they just meld with it. I think, and I think that's why the gaming community is more passionate than any other consumer because they basically form these fucking Vulcan mind melds with games. Well, they're, they're and engaged. they control them and they're engaged for like you know, 12, 13 – I mean – I always <laughs> consider a game good if I can't stop thinking about it when I'm not playing it. Like right now, I'm thinking about a little bit about Last of Us right now. I'm just like thinking about where I'm going to go next. And I mean, that was the same with Bioshock Infinite. I couldn't stop thinking about it when I wasn't playing it. I'm like, when am I going to get to play that again? You know? And Well, because it's, it's by definition, you're engaged in a way that you're not because it requires, it asks things of you. You can't sort of fall asleep playing it, you know, the way you can fall asleep watching a movie or something like that. I yeah, well, I was a cowboy for a month during Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, because, like, in Red Dead, like, you could go just ride around and all of a sudden, like, 
the rain comes in over the horizon and then you decide to go sit down in front of your campfire and it's just that kind of experience that nobody's telling you okay it's time to move on it's yeah. time to move on it, it's and that's why i think that you know that game if somebody had told me that one of the most compelling gameplay experience for me would be just riding over her you know towards a horizon yeah. when the rain when the storm comes in and the music, uh, and the music yeah. playing it just makes this beautiful experience that you just don't have anywhere else because it's your experience you know it's your moment and um that's why in terms of storytelling i've always I, I never really liked cutscenes because I wanted, even if it's hard or even if the story, even if you miss things, a lot of people, a lot of the confusion over Infinite comes across the fact that people miss certain things. You know, they don't see it, they're going to find the audio. Log. But I, as a gamer, that's what makes games unique is the ability that it's, you can miss stuff, but when you find something or when you have that moment, maybe you'll never catch that sunset exactly the way the artist intended you to in Red Dead. But when you do, you know, when you catch that moment, it's something incredible and something powerful that no other, me- it's no other media has it. No, no other media at all. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's, I sort of like that because we had Randy Pitchford on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I haven't posted the podcast yet, but just there, there does seem to be this sort of um, fraternity of, of studio heads who all sort of talk. And, yep. you know, like you said, you're, you're chatting with your friends with Gabe and, and Randy, I think he said, did, did he have you come play Borderlands? And yeah, he came out to play. I mean, he's, he's a sweetheart. He came out, like Randy, this incredibly busy guy, came out to play Infinite when we were sort of getting near the end to give us his feedback. And it was incredibly helpful. Well, all these guys, Jake Solland, who worked on XCOM, and and Randy, and like a bunch of other people. There's, people are very generous with their in the games industry with their time. And their, and their, he played the whole game through. I mean, that's not trivial. Oh, he wow. He out to Boston to play the whole game through. And that's not a trivial, you know, no. task to ask of somebody who's really busy. But he did. He was, he was a real. How have you seen the industry change since '97? Um, well, the money's there's a lot more money, a lot more marketing people. Not necessarily a lot more money for the people who make the game. So there's, right. a, there's a lot more m- money out there. The consoles are much bigger. I think the audience. I, I I think the audience has grown. Obviously. Um. I think there's um, some. I, I think that I, I think one of the we talked about fans and the intensity of the fans. I think part of it is as you as you said they're they're engaged in a way they're not in other media because they play the games and they have that level of engagement, but they're also equally engaged with the dialogue. You know, I have I don't know how many Twitter followers, and I talk back. You know, I'm constantly engaged with them, and they tell me you know very frankly what they think. You know, sometimes, <laughs> and, that, and that's great. And I think that's you know that's very common in the games. I don't know how common that is in 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 other forms of media, but I think because games are so new, almost all the things we think about when come to the internet. You know, whether it's LOL or FTW, all that stuff comes out of the game space originally. You know, out of the internet nerd space, and so we're it's a very it's always been a very interactive. We st- all that interactivity started in the game space, so. I think there's really good stuff that that level of interact interactivity. I think there's also a sense that something I don't really connect to as a gamer. Like I'm a fan, like and I like games and I like movies and I like comics. I don't. I'm not. I don't worry about like if a game I'm going to like yeah. is going to be good or bad. I don't have a ton of anxiety. I don't have a ton of emotion. If I like it, I like it and I play it and I'm excited. If I don't like it, I kind of I kind of move on. But there's this sort of um, – there's been a level of intensity and intense level of anger sometimes even, which I guess I, I, I get but I don't personally feel. Right. Um, I don't know if I understand the anger before. I, I feel like one thing that does happen in 
in the various communities, in the gaming community, and, and even in just in, in regular, uh, in, in other media content, where people just get so angry at stuff before they even experience it, or they'll just go, that thing's fucking sucks. And they're like, have you seen or played it yet? No. Well, then what if you just experienced it and then made the judgment? Well, that's that's what bothers me is like with this whole E3 thing is just people are really upset. And like it's it's almost like this the government is implanting this box in your house. But you don't have to spend money on a console that you don't like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like somebody said, I was reading a comment thread about Microsoft's announcement today. And they said like, oh, it's too little too late. I'm like. How is it yes. too late? Like, <laughs> I know I, some guy got mad at me because I I posted the story that like they reversed all the stuff that people were mad about, and he was like, "They only did it because of soft sales, not for not because of their gamers." So fuck them. And I'm like, "But you got what you wanted. I don't give a shit why they did it." And not only that, like every company, every move that every company makes is to make more money in the end because they need to keep the company going. They're a public company. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, and I, I think it's important that people sort of know that going in that look. That a it's people do things as a business. However, doing things that people like and that fans appreciate is also good business. So, but it is at the end of the day, these people and I, I always try to be very clear. You know, it, it it's a business, and if I don't run a good business, the people I have lose their lose their jobs. And I, so I think it's important to do things that make a good business. On the other hand, the gamers have every right to say. You know, fuck you. That's not for me. And they should ex- they should exercise that right com- yeah. completely. And yeah. I think that's their old. At the end of the day, they're the ultimate authority. I think that the sometimes they might, you know, the emotion can get in the way of actually like judging what they might actually like and what might not like. But at the end of the day, it's entirely their prerogative. Like you can never tell somebody, especially a customer, you know, essentially mm-hmm. feel this way or feel that right. way. But there is good business in making people feel like appreciated and good yeah. and listened to. That's really, really important. That's why I'm on Twitter as much as I am. Trust me, it's not because I like having people call me douchebag at two in the morning. You know? <laughs> oh, um, it, it's because, I personally love it. When you did that to me, when you call me douchebag, I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, I, do you get all, do you, I mean, how much, how much do you get? Um, <laughs> you know, I gotta be honest. I, I think it's probably, realistically, it's probably. It's not as bad as you say it is. Well, it's not as bad as I say it is because I'm sure the majority of where it happens is not at me i'm sure it just happens in forums that i don't go on right um but i i would say it's like 85 85 percent of the people are really nice and 15 percent of the people yeah. are you know are really mean and you know and i've gotten a lot of, no 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 it's fine it's, it's, it's totally fine and it is yeah it's like i don't you know i don't need everyone to, i don't need everyone to like me I, my only thing is like hey you know you don't have to go out if you don't like something then just you don't have to go out of your way to walk up to something and go excuse me fuck, fuck you, you. I, 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 why did you why I, did i there's that great you ever see that curb your enthusiasm where like um larry calls larry david calls somebody to um do a recommendation for some assistant he had like you know for another and um he goes oh i'm larry david i I did um did the sign i did seinfeld he goes never saw it not a fan (laughs) and he goes he's he's like why why did you have to tell me that that part (laughs) but you know actually meredith and i my wife and i Start actually, we have some of our favorite trolls, and we kind of miss them when they go away because they are real. The, the anger is eventually, like, if you look at it the right way, it's really entertaining. Oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, there's you know, no question. You can't let it get to you because then they win. You oh know? no, you ne- so, never feed. There's the some troll. people where I'm like, I'm going to send you some WD-40 to unstick that caps lock button <laughs> because clearly it's stuck because it's all caps all well, the time. You only have to push it once, and then it just and then it just comes right, and yeah, then it just then sticks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I always, uh, I was. Well, it's a lot easier than having to hit the, sh- the shift like repeatedly. Like, yeah, no, that's true. Leave it that way. <laughs> but, uh, but that being said, it is. I, I mean, I do think. I, I weirdly think that like you know, like running a game studio or creating a game is sort of a brave profession because you know that every choice that you make is in some way going to divide people, yeah. and you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna let you know, and so it is sort of a. <laughs> I'm not saying it's like a, a war, but there is a little bit of a wow. I know that you know whatever I do because. As as someone you know, like if you play games, you take great ownership over the story. Like Bioshock Infinite is kind of not yours; it's everyone's, it's everybody's, yeah, yeah. And so you know, choices that you make, you know, particularly with whatever you do next with it, or like people might go, "No, that's wrong." And you're like, "Really? Yeah, but I thought of it." But you have to be okay with that because it doesn't really belong to you yeah, anymore. Actually, like I heard a podcast or somewhere about Infinite. They were saying, and they had an interpretation of something that happened, and they said. If I find out that actually it means this, I'm going to be so mad. I'm like, how are you going to find out? Like, like, it, <laughs> like, how can it mean anything than what you thought it meant? Like, what? I, it's not mine, and that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not ours. Whatever you think about, it, and that's why I'm so reluctant to answer some of those questions. Is the authorial intent doesn't really matter that much? Like, like after you've written a couple of things. And you go and you read and you read like people have written their theses on various Bioshock things, and you read and you realize that most academia is complete bullshit because, you know, like it's all people's interpretations of things. And generally they give a lot more credit to the thought process <laughs> of the creator than they thought, the thought. The creator is usually like it's three in the morning. You're trying to get something done and you don't plan things out nearly as carefully as sometimes people think they do. Like I read a whole thesis on Bioshock, one of the naming of the characters, how all the names were taken from all these sort of literary and historical precedents. And really I just, pulled them out of my ass but but maybe on a subconscious level you actually were doing that you just didn't realize it yeah i don't i didn't realize how smart i actually am (laughs) but there might but you know your brain has a lot of your your brain has a lifetime's worth of stuff in there that influences you and most of it you're just not aware of so maybe you did but but again but if it's fun for the person doesn't matter like like that person enjoys it i think it's great you know was there anything that you uh is there anything about your work in general that you discovered after you made it because i feel like sometimes you can make a thing and then – but when you see it in front of you and then you go, oh, I guess I really was trying to express this thing that I didn't understand before. Like there was uh, – somebody pointed out like – so there's – if you know, there's um, a Cindy Lauper song playing. Yes. Girls just want to have fun. When yeah, you're on the yeah. beach. And I, I, I knew that was the right sound. Like we, we have this whole idea that we would take these modern songs and, and repurpose them for the period. Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears. Uh, Creed, Credence, Beach Boys. Yeah. Um, and the Cindy Lauper song just sounded right for that point for me and girls just went to fun Lizzo was out for the first time having a good time but apparently there's a line in that song says some 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 men just want to take a beautiful girl and hide her away from the rest of the world i read i read this whole thing that you're referring to like they went through every single song and explained why it fit into the that that the fact that it was that particular that line i totally didn't recall that line in the song so that was a complete happy accident like that, oh, that particular wow that's line. so funny um and you know, it's one of those things where you're like oh well well, well played levine <laughs> i was sitting there i'm like oh these are really this is way deeper than i thought yeah no a lot of them were like a lot of them had a lot of deeper but that particular line which is so accurate about elizabeth you know exactly describing her situation was complete happenstance so uh oh, oh you know the time travel element i didn't fully was Fink jumping forward in time somehow? The, I, I'll let you say. It. I was like, I was about to explain it, but I'll no, let you go ahead. Go ahead. I'd rather, I'd rather okay. hear you explain. Chloe's going to explain 
what she thinks, and well, then you no, can tell. Well, no, it said it in the right game. Around. There was an audio log. It oh, what was it. the audio log? Basically, he found there was a tear that was in his studio, and he started hearing these songs coming through the tear. Oh, so he gotcha. heard the songs, and so he stood, started to write, rewrite. His, the songs. his brother, Fink's brother. Oh, his brother. Yes. Yeah, so they were they were both borrowing both Fink and his brother. One one was bothering. One was borrowing music. The brother is a musician. He was Fink was leaning more towards the science and industry aspect right. of it. Interesting. Um, is uh, I want to shift a little bit off Bioshock because I, we don't have a ton of time left, and I've <laughs> got to talk to you about Logan's Run, which is, I think, so. I mean, just the the idea of the story that you are writing this movie is so huge because it legitimizes gaming as i mean i don't obviously you know everyone plays games and the industry's you know like people pay millions of dollars and games outsell films and but i feel like from a creative standpoint it legitimizes what you guys do in 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 the rest of entertainment which i feel like for the longest time having grown up with games i feel like the rest of entertainment was like ah games that's kid stuff you know like it's the same way that sort of film looks down on television and television looks down on the internet and you know there was a pecking order and I feel like now that is something that helps legitimize it as a real storytelling medium, which is pretty, I think it's very exciting. I think that, I think you're right. in a lot of ways said the, and um, you know, I've always felt this, that, you know, creative people are creative people. And like, you know, when I talk to a guy like Guillermo, who's going to work in games, as long as, you know, they're going to put, you know, their heart into something like, of course, of course, Guillermo del Toro could make a, be involved in making a great game. Of course, he's a really talented guy and he's a nerd, you know, like he, he, he cares. He's passionate about this stuff. But for some reason, that's only that, that it's in that gone, direction. Yes, yeah, it's gone yeah. that way. And I had, I've had meetings before where people said to me, oh, you know what you should do? Why don't you and this sort of big film director work together? We can put you in a room with him and you can help him make a game. And I'm like, I, I'm, it's not. You know, that's not particularly interesting. In the same way, he's probably not going to come to me and say, oh, help direct, help me direct a movie. Right. You know, he's a creative guy who could, could totally handle that on his own. And if I were to do a movie, you know, that's something I would just do. And I'd, I'd have to convince somebody with the money to, you know, to, to make that happen. But for some reason, it's games have been viewed as junior varsity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, and that's very common. That's been very common in Hollywood. But until you start – there are people you start – until you meet the right people who are – who – you know, can recognize that, oh, maybe this guy might have something to say, you know, in this medium as well. Um, and I think it's really good for games. I think it's really good for, not just for gamers and games. I think it's just good for, if there are people who are passionate about things, you know, in a, if they can demonstrate an ability to do it, why should they just be, you know, doing it in one area? And this project in particular, I mean, Logan's was something that, if not for Logan's run, there is no Bioshock. You know, this whole dystopian, that's the, when I was 10 years old, I saw Logan's Run, and I remember there was a, a, a trailer for it. And it's, it's not, you know, the original is, it's a movie of its time, right? It's a very it doesn't, I, listen, time. I hope I'm not upsetting anyone when I say this, but it doesn't necessarily hold up, like, no. all the years. Oh, my God, hold on, I gotta tweet at you. Please do. You're a douche. <laughs> no, it's not two in the morning. Um, but, but the uh, concept, the, the concept, concept is, is great. It's so yeah. great. And it deserves, I felt the concept is so strong, and I've read the book a hundred times, and I've seen the movie a hundred times. They're they're not the they have a lot of problems, but the concept has stayed with me for thirty something years, and it was the thing that turned me on to dystopian stories. And so, if not for that, then I never would have read nineteen eighty four. I never would have read Britain, whatever, and then there would have been no dystopian game. So I feel a responsibility 
as a creator to say like I love this thing the same way that I was thought objectivism and art deco were interesting and cool and I wanted to make something that could show other people like hey you know if you said art deco to a gamer 10 years ago they'd be like for the average game, they're probably like, you know, I don't know. Objectivism. <laughs> you have to find a way where you say, like, this is cool and here's why it's mm-hmm. cool. And the same with Logan's that as I'm just – as a nerd, it was so such a part of my birth as a, you know, as a nerd, creative nerd that I, I felt for, for my whole life this is something I really – I wanted to make popular. I wanted to show people why it was cool. And that's really the impetus behind it, that I just want people to see why it's cool. And again, it's it's buried under all this 70s stuff or the book under all this sort of 60s stuff and some, you know, goofy special effects and all that. But there's something deep down that is so compelling that I just want to bring out. I always love I always love those too. the um, just the, not not just the dystopian future, but also the idea that there's some um non-corporeal consciousness that controls everything yeah. whether it be a you know a computer or just like some weird hive mind or like the i don't know even if it's like the kryptonian the kryptonian council or just like some weird group that somehow has wrestled control to say you know to reorganize society right. and, they, and they have a better idea of how life your life should run than you should yeah exactly and it's and it's and it's you know there's it's it, it's a it's got great ideas and it comes from a time before people were really before people knew how to turn science fiction into popular like like science fiction back then was you know it was sort of oh yeah let's, we'll do a science fiction movie every it was like one science fiction movie a year i mean i'm 46 and i was i don't know how old you were when i was growing up there was like one year there was rollerball and the next year there was logan's run and the next right. year there was westworld, westworld and, and then the westworld sequel yes and that was like but there was like one or two a year you right know? and then star wars hit and then all of a sudden people realized there was you know there, there was money in the banana stand and they started you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm five episodes into the new rest of developments you got to see this the sixth one is where it really is it, it really <laughs> starts coming it's all everything's starting to sort of come together now the job one and and the ann and joe you gotta you, you'll see oh my god i'm so that that oh fuck that's a great reference but, it, but it's true people they didn't think there was money there and then all of a sudden they realized there was money there and then people started in the same way like superhero like when i was a kid there was there were no superhero movie there's like a spider-man television show and it was terrible oh it was really know? bad I, you know it's funny you say that because i was just telling uh our friend matt key who is the biggest comic book he's probably the biggest comic book nerd i know and matt had no idea that there was a 70s spider-man tv show oh, yeah and he was like, what? Well, first of all, he didn't know about the Shazam show. Hello? He didn't know about Shazam. And I was like, yeah, there was a Shazam show. And it sort of looked Croft-esque. Right. Um, but it wasn't. It was um, – oh, who did that one? It was uh, Shimer. I think it was Shimer maybe. Oh, fuck. I don't remember. Anyway. It, but, uh, yeah, the, the Spider-Man show in the 70s. It, remember the web shooter? The web the shooter. Outside, yeah, yeah. The and, it just, and it just looked like – yeah, the web shooter on the outside. And it just, it just looked like rope. rope. Uh, Maybe because we, it was. It was, but <laughs> it's on. It's on YouTube. It's on. I follow a great subreddit called Obscure Media, and if you go to Obscure Media, this, if, if you follow this Obscure Media subreddit, it's all these old fucking awesome things That's that awesome. are just literally obscure media. Like I saw the other day, I saw like a failed Monsters animated pilot uh, really? called like Little Monsters or something, and then there was a. Um, uh, wait, this one. This one I have to share with you because it's. Uh, Oh no, that's Brian Cranston's top five Reddit moments. Uh, 
This is a 1960. Oh, I think I closed it. It was just this weird, like, Octoman. It was like a 1971 movie where there was like a part octopus guy. Are you subscribe to our space days. I'm don't. No one should subscribe. <laughs> don't. Bam. Don't. Don't do that. Um, our, our space sticks. Don't do it. <laughs> no. Don't do it. Don't no, do said. it. All right. All right. We'll we'll go easy. How about our dragons fucking cars? Are we on that one? That Anybody? one's that, that one's better. Yeah, that one's better. Um, so what what is your idea to with Logan's Run? All these years, it's been in your gut. So what 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 do you think could have been better about the original Logan's Run? Because I think it's important for people to know that this isn't just like oh they're gonna let the video game guy make another remake. Like th- that this is a very passionate thing that you probably watch this movie for years and be like oh yeah. if i were to do it I, I haven't started writing it i've just been mostly thinking about it and but i think the key thing is that there, look, there's a bunch of challenges that are in the way of making that story accessible i mean one is that it's really hard to get on board with logan because he's he likes to kill people and then until it's his time to die and then he's like well i'm not going to do that anymore yeah and, right and then and the, the and Jenny, I mean, uh, uh, Jessica is not particularly a strong or interesting character. She just sort of, she's very much a, a female sidekick of the period. And I think that would, you know, what's her deal? Like, what does she want? And why does she interested in this guy he basically, who basically he, kills her brother? He and, basically just, he finds her on that three-dimensional fuck stream, yep, yep, right? Where yep. he just tunes her in. He's like, let's do it. Yep. There's a show going on downstairs. That's the bleed over the noise. But um, was it Jenny Agutter? Jenny Agutter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She was the uh... American Wolf in London. Also. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh, that, great. Uh, well, the shower scene did not go through your head right now. So <laughs> head. No, of course not. Of course not. not. Um, there, there are some things that you would that in terms of the characters, in terms of you know buying into them, buying into the world that are in the way that I think you have to sort of like figure out. Yeah. And um, you know. I'll, I'm in the process of that, but because there's this great nougaty middle that's like got this sort of very tough shell on the outside. Right. And you want to get deal with that shell so you, people can get to the nougaty middle because there is that great dystopian new, nougaty middle. Is, do, do, you, do you sort of feel like that there's <laughs> – that, that, that the nougaty middle is sort of – kind of what's happened what happened at e3 what's happened in gaming is that there is this consciousness that's saying here this is good for you and people going no like that that's sort of the revolution <laughs> I'm, what do you, I'm, what do you well, mean I'm, actually, I'm, I'm drawing a, a comparison question. i'm drawing a comparison to the logan's run reality of the consciousness in the dystopian society and you know like there's basically this pleasure society that um that the government or whatever <laughs> the body is is just telling them what's good for them and then now but then at some point you know like they revolt well, I, I think, I mean, to some degree, you're, you're right that, like, you can't just tell people the, the society or the game or the hardware you're selling is great. Like, getting people to believe it is the hard part, buy into it. You know? right. And that's, with, it, with any dystopian story, like, the reason, you know, I think Rapture worked was because we started at the beginning of the game as with the guy telling you why it was awesome, with Ryan telling you, yeah. making the case for it. And I think that's the hard thing for any kind of dystopian society. It has to start like the new world is not really. It's just a. It's not really dystopic because it never was. Sorry, not 1984. There's it, it's nothing. There's nothing appealing about it. But great. What I loved about when I when I first saw the trailer for Logan's Run when I was a kid. Remember, it said like in the 23rd century, like you can have all the drugs and all the sex and all this great stuff. And it's awesome, but there's only one catch. And I remember like that was like a lightning bolt hitting my head that you could have this sort of dichotomy of 
this amazing world that is perfect except in this one little very profound way and the problem is that that case you have to make that was made really well in the trailer wasn't made as well in the in the movie like why are they killing the why are they killing people in care why are they lighting them up in carousel yeah yeah you know and you kind of walk away feeling a little that scene i watched that movie i watched it again last night and you you walk away saying like oh i'm I'm not sure i'd be one of those people cheering in that crowd and you kind of kind of have you have to be the audience has to be you have to think you have to think it's awesome yes yeah because your value you you have to take your audience on a journey, and their val- you have to shift their values throughout the movie, yes. right? Yeah, they have they have to buy into why somebody else would, would buy into this, and I think that you know in 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 we spent a lot of time in like that's why Rapture is beautiful, you know, like because we had people understand like why would you want to live here, and there's a lot of people cosplay like these games because I think there's a, there's something very appealing about both Columbia and Rapture, you know, the, with Columbia was this sort of notion of old timey America, and we're you know, this little, like the music man, like we, that, yeah. that was what I told the guys. It's like, it should feel like the music man, this perfect turn of the century world that never really existed, but who wouldn't want to kind of live in that world if that could exist. But then there's yeah. this very people? dark. Well, yeah, there's this, <laughs> but then the catch is it's, it, there's this really dark underbelly right. it that is, you know, which was true at the time. Like people remember this time in America where everybody was happy and everybody was perfect. And of course it never fucking existed. Yeah. Um, there were things about it that were great and things about it that were, you know, Really not great. Really not so great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have some questions here. I have one quick question before. I know I know we got to rush, but I, I just have one really quick question. Sure. I want to know what you – I mean like the game industry right now, it's kind of being revolutionized. It's a bit of a clusterfuck because on one hand, we have all these indie games that are starting to like pick up. We've got like Minecraft was an indie game and Journey. And then on the other hand, we have like Call of Duty making billions of dollars and then we've got beautiful games like yours, which are starting to get more recognition. People are playing it. And and so, I mean, people rejected the idea of DRM, which would have sort of made gaming sort of more of an internal thing, I think. I mean, what, where do you think this is going, like, you know, with movies and games? And I think people reject the notion of you haven't made – you haven't told me why it's good for me. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Steam, for instance – I think that as a there's this term in in like somebody told me when I was you coming up when I was starting you know run the company and stuff you know value proposition like you know it's like any pitch like I'll give you this hamburger and fries and a shake for six dollars you're like great and then he says well for 150 dollars like well that's not a good value proposition mm-hmm. and the same way with Steam has a package of stuff they give you you know one is you know, one is DRM, for instance, and one is you can't resell your games. But it's also like, oh, by the way, you know how you hate when you get a new computer that you have to re- drag out <laughs> all your disks and do that? You know, you hate when you have to track down patches. You know, you, you hate, you know, not having easy ways to mod your games. Well, we're going to we're gonna take care of all that for you. Hey, you know, you hate there are no good sales on games. We're going to take care of all that for you. And that's what it's about. I don't think it's about any particular thing. I think it's about... Am I making a good proposition to you? And the audience is always going to be the one who tells you whether it's a good proposition. You can never tell them. And they're, they're going to answer that question. And sometimes, you know, people like digital downloads, you know, for instance, right now, if you download a game on, um, you know, from PSN or something, it's there's DRM, there's you can't resell it. But the convenience for some people is a is worth is worthwhile um, and they feel comfortable with it. But if they're not comfortable, with it, there's no amount of telling them they should be comfortable with this. So there has work. to be a compelling reason to make the compromise. Yeah. There has to be a value add to them that like anything like with Bioshock Infinite, I can, I can't beat somebody up. So they buy the game. I can't tell them. It's awesome. Like a lot of people, I remember somebody said to me when we were, 
we're going to infinite. Tell me why I should pre-order your game. And I said, I'm not going to do that because why should you believe me? You know, yeah. like at the end of the day, you'll pre-order it or you won't pre-order it if you think it's cool. And, you know, it's really up to you. I'm the last guy you should listen to. You know, <laughs> I have a, I have a, not, even if I didn't care about money or anything like that, which of course I don't, um, <laughs> I have a, it's my baby. So I have a vested interest in, in loving it. You know, yeah. I've worked on it forever. And the question is, is your baby going to be in the crib when you open the door? That's right. Well, <laughs> it is, maybe it will be a won't be. Oh, time, shit. Right? Um, well, take now, that, Hardwick. But Fuck. now that we've burnt down this sort of I will take it or maybe ground. I won't take it. Oh, uh, <laughs> keeping it going. Yep, she's going with that. Sorry. Maybe she's your girlfriend. Maybe she's your girlfriend and your daughter. Oh, God. <laughs> I shouldn't play be, that. No, I shouldn't no. be turned on right now. <laughs> oh, uh, I have a guilt boner. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm Dr. Manhattan's penis again. <laughs> you have a blue guilt boner. A blue guilt boner. <laughs> oh, my God. Blue guilt boner is playing at Spaceland tonight. You guys want to go see him? Oh, yeah, I love those guys. They're so good. Yeah. Um, um, but but now that they've sorry to go back from the go boners, go 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 uh, now that they've burned down this sort of model to the ground, do you think that games are going to be going more in the direction of multi million dollar franchises, or do you think they're going to be going more indie? I think that are we going to just be split right down the middle? Look, the great thing about digital distribution is it lowers the the barriers to directly communicate with your audience and it allows ways to like like a, you got a game like minecraft it's an indie game that sold i don't know 14 whatever million <laughs> a ridiculous units. Amount. now that's it's a bit of an outlier right because it, there's something so clever about it it's you know somebody a friend of mine described it as oh, it's it's lego for you know it's it's modern day lego it's yeah. digital lego lego and, zombie game yeah and it allows it allows expression and all those things that games that that it's a very beautiful and brilliant idea and not every idea is that so most indie games aren't going to go anywhere near that it's sort yeah. of an outlier phenomena um but i think that as people get more and more comfortable with digital distribution the amount of people in the middle get reduced so greatly that the barrier of entry gets reduced so greatly that you can service much smaller audiences with much more niche stuff and you can make money off of that like you can you know you couldn't you know you couldn't there was no way to make like I got out of PC game development a few years ago. Oh, I was out of strictly PC game development mm -hmm. because the kind of games I was making that were three, four, five million dollar development, like Tries Vengeance and SWAT and Freedom Force. There was just a market was disappearing because right. the cost to get that on the shelf was so expensive that people were going to say, "Well, why am I going to buy your three, four million dollar game when I can buy somebody spent twenty million dollars on a game or thirty million dollars?" But now, serving an you, there was no way to service a niche audience. Now you can totally service niche audience, and you can make a lot of money doing it. So I'm very optimistic about thing, about the future. I think quality. It's always it's just are you going to make something of quality? That's what it always comes down to. It doesn't matter if it's on an iPad or I or, or or an Xbox or a PC. Can you make something of quality that is going to appeal to an audience? And I think that's great. Not only just with gaming, but with anything, it always it's always that magic formula that uh, it's like, well, yeah, if you make a good story, it doesn't matter if it's a movie or a game or, yep. or a, a television show or, or a comic book or whatever, as long as long as it's a story that, you know, that's good. And but that's that's the uh, that's the magic molecule is like, but you can't like you can't just 
engineer that. Like you just have to like someone has to come along but, and make it. But that's the nice thing about the sort of atomization that happens is you get instead of having three or I don't know. I mean, there probably be room for these huge giant blockbusters, but you're seeing as same thing happen in television. Like you know, you work, you do the show, right? The Talking Dead, which is about, which is centered on a very successful television show. Now that television show was 25 years ago. It would not be a successful television show. What is right. it? Eight or nine million people watching, which is huge, yeah. huge numbers. But if you weren't 20 million people, like tw- when there's only three stations, when you, if you didn't have 20 million people watching your show, but that's a great thing, right? Because now you can have a show that's incredibly successful that caters to an audience of not of eight or nine million people that doesn't have to make any compromises is for right. well my my great aunt in you know manitoba wants to watch it so we better have a, a lovable kid right you know so you don't have to do any of those compromises you don't have to have cousin oliver um <laughs> are, you, are you worried that we're gonna see a lot like a the quality do you think do you think the quality is gonna lower over time because no, no i think it will go up because you can make audio you can make quality things that you because of like like the netflix they have a new you know a new model which is allows them to focus on you know, somebody said recently that, you know, what used to be movies, like real, like adult movies are now, not only porn, I mean like movies for, <laughs> uh, right. are now TV, you know, like yeah. they're now The Walking Dead, it's now Breaking Bad, it's mm-hmm. now Mad Men. And, you know, because the map market of big movies, now you can only do huge blockbusters, really. There's only an economic for that. But there's Netflix and there's TV, there's a million cable shows and there's direct distribution and there's all these other ways people are finding ways to, to and YouTube and all, all these other ways people are finding to make money. I think that's great. It used, when we were kids, there was three channels, you know, yeah. and that was it. And if you weren't, if you couldn't find something that appealed to that many people, you, that meant by definition, it was sort of a middling, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, you know, all um, lowest common denominator approach. Yeah. Well, it's also it's and then people had to. Whereas now, you know, we as consumers are very spoiled because we have tasted what it feels like to get our very specific desires yeah. met, and we don't have to anymore. Like when we were growing up, it was like, well, if you want to watch TV, you better fucking figure out a way to like one of the things that's exactly. on because otherwise, you're not gonna. Or you know, you have to get pirated tapes from England if you want to watch. You know, like uh, you know, you want to watch Python or whatever yeah. if you can't catch it on PBS. So it's sort of like. Uh, now we're so used to the idea of like, oh, well, I want exactly what I want when I want it. And it better be in, delivered in the specific way that is suited to me or fuck everything. Right, right. And, and, and that's what we've sort of come to, you know, that's what we've come to expect. Uh, I do. I want to get to some Reddit, Reddit questions. questions. The yeah, first, I won't ask anymore, the, 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 the biggest Reddit question, of course, is is DLC. You know, what with the uh, with with buying the with buying the season pass and yeah, DLC, yeah. and you know, when's that happening, and what are your plans? And so, this was a really interesting conundrum we got ourselves into because so we very carefully listen to the audience about we be, do not like pass off something that you didn't put in the game as DLC you're selling us. So now what that meant is we had to wait to finish the game to start on anything, and we're very. This is one of those things I actually think the intensity of the audience feeling about this may actually be a negative because there's stuff that we cut from the game because it didn't work at all in the game, which which we could put in the DLC because we think it's actually well this has a role here, which now we're not going to. Are you? Can you say what because any of it? People will get mad. Yeah, there are right? some there are some character models and stuff that we thought were really cool that just didn't. What whether it turned out that our memory we couldn't load that many models at one time or something like that that we just didn't find a place in the game. And now I'm just 
I'm not going to put them anywhere near the DLC because... Can I speak on behalf of gamers and say it's okay? Because I would love to see some of those character models. <laughs> We're going to try to find a way to get it out there for, for free so people can see right. it in some way. Okay. But it's kind of a shame because that basically means that now there's... We, our, our toolbox for the DLC is lower. But I, t I took that very, very seriously that people felt really strongly about it. And now I've got people on my Twitter feed saying, like, where's the fucking DLC? And the truth is we started afterwards. And I get why people are impatient for, for the DLC. But on sure. the other hand, I can't, we're kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place. And we're trying to do what's – at the end of the day, I'll take that because I want to do what's best for the audience. And I want to make them right. happy. And if some people get pissed off, generally the audience is – the Twitter followers are very much like, no, we get it. We get yeah. it. We get why you're doing it. And um, and we you know look, we're working since the game finished. Basically, we've been working nonstop on it, but these things take time. And we'll talk about it relatively soon. But I, you know, I'm not gonna. I don't like to just to pump out information that doesn't like. I can't say, oh, hey, it's gonna be. If I, I want to show people why it's cool. I want to be when we're ready to show people why it's cool. We're gonna do that, and I think people are gonna find it to be very, very cool. Um, but we, we, I'll, I'll take the sort of negativity about it. Have you given people a relative time frame? Like, oh, it'll be six months or in 2014 or... I don't want... <laughs> you don't want to say it. I don't want to do that okay. yet. yet. I will just. I will say that we're, you know, we go to work and that's all we do. It's tough because if you do, if you do give people a time frame and when that rolls around, if you're ready, like, hey, but you yes. said the blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to be very... I understand. You have to be very it, careful you know, what you said. That, and that's what I'm saying. To some degree, I, th I think what the intensity people feel over things, like, like this DLC issue, can cannot necessarily be a good thing for them but mm -hmm. i am trying by the end of the day i'm trying to respect what they want and that's right. why we won't ship any of this content it would just basically go away right um because there are things you do cut from a game and like the notion that you cut things so to it's just not it's there's just there's no way i can manufacture that's just not how it works for us mm -hmm. um we do it, it, the, the things that generally we would cut would be so far from being able to be used anyway. Like there are levels that we just sort of okay. When you said that, I thought what you were saying was you were afraid to put in the DLC because people would be upset that they were paying for something that they'd already paid. There's nothing for. like a, a level, but there are character models, for instance, right. that we had in the game that we realized, oh, we can only load seven civilians at a time, mm -hmm. so we couldn't ever use this model. Or there was an enemy that and it just wasn't very okay. fun to play against. But his character model is really cool. Yeah. But we won't ship any of that because I don't want the reaction of people to be, how come you are making us pay for this? Oh, that's okay. So um, you were saying Yeah, that. I was yeah. saying that. I See, was it's such that. a bummer. I, I, you know, people just get so upset. And I think that that, that really should change. And I will go on record saying that. You guys don't have to. But I no, just no. think that people get so... It's not. It's look. It's for me as a gamer. Like there used to be this thing called expansion. called expansion packs. Right. Yeah. Like this is not a new thing. DLC is not a new thing. But at the end of the day, look. I do. People. I respect that people open their wallets and pay for these things. So I want people to feel good about it. In the end of the day, I'm not necessarily sure it's in their best interest. That, as you said, because they won't. They won't get this content. Yeah. Because because I don't want to make them feel like they are paying tw quote twice, twice for something. Yeah. But they're not. But but at the end of the day, I want to respect that. And and um, but I don't know if it's necessarily they don't there are unintended consequences they may not necessarily. Well, this see. is a really good way to point out the consequences that yeah. come from that. So, um, this is from MTI Chris. This is an easy one. What do you like on your pizza? <laughs> Um, I'm a vegetarian, so that's like the most boring question to ask me. Yeah. Also, him? No. No. Well, ish. Not really. Sort some of, of some of these quit. Some. No, I'm not. I'm I, I'm partially vegetarian because she is. Yeah, and there there are some go. great vegetarian yeah. restaurants to eat at. And I found that you know, 
I was such a carnivore that I was like, oh, you know, if I don't really feel like eating meat, I won't eat it. And but sometimes I really do. So I eat it some of the time, and other uh, times, you my, know. My wife was she she was a vegetarian, and then she. Um, you want me outing you on this one? <laughs> uh, and then she and then she found out like she was getting really tired and stuff so she started eating meat again sometimes and i think for some people like that's not i like i think some people thought of like like it doesn't bother me like i wouldn't I, that's fine like a lot of people no, think I mean, you have to be a boat bait. It, yeah you gotta eat it sometimes. but but for me it's i i just you know so yeah. what do you eat on your pizza um oh i used to re- okay before i was vegetarian i used to really like ham and pineapple and peppers you're a pot you're a hawaiian pizza i, I like that yeah and red onions and then i now i just get it without the ham <laughs> do you have do you have any like artificial meat ever on your pizza i haven't no we do this we go to this thai restaurant that's really good oh. uh um, on, shout out. This is uh, so. Th- this is uh, this is from Biscuit Hammer. This is a spoiler. Wait, question. Wait, you weren't you weren't you, you weren't. Oh, you didn't answer your pizza question. You weren't interested in our really deep yeah, conversation about artificial out. meats on pizza. Um, <laughs> the um, I so I get um, I get well on my birthday. Here's the best pizza I have. My birthday, my wife makes me. She goes buys this dough from this restaurant, and she Aww. comes home and she makes me a pizza with with um onions and um fake. Um, pepperoni and fake sausage, and it's like the Ooh. best thing ever. Every oh, year. that's really yeah. sweet. That sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> Biscuit Hammer has a couple questions that are pretty good. Are we ever going to get closure for Robert and Rosalind Lutess? Their existence at the end of the game is questionable, and I really like those two. And then this person asked if they were doing it. Yeah, if they were gonna, totally doing it. I was just going to say, were they doing I it? I think they're the same person they, in different universes, right? Uh, the, yes, that's true. They are. I will say that because that, that, that's on the record. Um, in terms of whether they're doing it, that is. Not my call to make. So that's either so that's, that's really technically masturbation. Yeah. It's technically it's technically interdimensional masturbation. Ain't nothing wrong with that? No, you no. can fuck your opposite sex self through a yeah. window in in the universe. Um, Almost everybody I met said if they could meet themselves, they would have sex with themselves. And I'm like, have you seen me? Like I would have sex with. I'm a big hairy monster. <laughs> uh, so his other question was, um, have you considered making a game more on the line of Telltale, like The Walking Dead? Sometimes I feel like the Bioshock games were somewhat hampered by certain gaming elements, and it would be interesting to see you be able to cut loose from a, st- a storytelling perspective, which I think in the broader sense, a bunch of people were like, open world, yeah, why not Bioshock was- open world? Yeah. Well, uh, Walking Dead game is is really focused on the narrative, right? Like the game element of actually is very, um, the Telltale Walking Dead yeah. game, right, is actually very from a game perspective is actually fairly limited by design. And so they did, you know, and they did a great job. They they created these great characters and these great situations. I think for me, I'm, I'm a, I like, I'm a, I've, I've always liked gamey, like gaminess, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've always enjoyed game systems, you know, I'm, but when I play games, actually, generally what I play is I to play like civilization, XCOM style games, right. more, more systemic games rather than narrative games. So I, I think that, I would have trouble, like I'm not, I, like I had to work on an adventure style game once, a Star Trek game for a while that never never got made. And it was really hard for me to come up with like the moments in it because they were so. That's all there was to the game. It was like these sort of player um, designer design moments, like any adventure game, you know, you know, because you know, in a, in any Sierra style game, you know exactly the points along. You can you can sort of plot the path along very clearly. There's no systemic growth or anything like that. So as much as I appreciate it and as much as that would make my life easier as a writer, um, <laughs> I would miss working on a – as a gamer, I like game systems. So probably probably not. I liked the – I mean 
you know, just because I got stuck on Skyrim for so long, an open world game is dangerous for me because it's difficult for me to get off it. And so having having basically a one direction. Uh, the band? Yep, the band. Having one direction in my life has really helped me realize that I'm a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> um, but ha- having basically like one one really main quest to accomplish and get through just a linear story is is better for me and right. my personality because I would fucking play it for, I mean, I would, I because like Columbia is just one of those places where you go, oh, I want to fucking live here. And I would just run around oh. that place all the time. So, so the other question is like, what I think about an open world. There, there were yeah. two, there were two okay. separate. There okay. was, there was the walking dead is an open, world. is an open world. Okay. But, but I was saying in the, it's like that, that was the walking dead question, the gaming elements. And then I said in the broader sense, other people oh also want, it was actually two questions. Other people online wanted, I mean, other people on Reddit want to know like, why not an if open rapture world? Rapture was open world. Oh, I, I think I think those are the the designs I admire the most. I think those are incredibly difficult. Like like we talked about Red Dead, like having those moments that are just entirely your own. You know that yeah. that come out. I really admire those. Um, it, it they're uh, they're very difficult to do correctly, and they're difficult to then even as open as Infinite was. I mean, I don't, I don't mean in terms of like it wasn't an open world game by a stretch, but the the fact that like where you know not having cutscenes and like having trying to tell that narrative and as as vertically a vertical space and as open a space as it was was really really difficult so i would love to do a game like that i just think i would have to really think about how it would be done oh please please do it this uh <laughs> redditor Vitorius has a good a couple good questions um number one did you really do the voice of the circus of values clown Welcome to the Circus of Values. My wife hates that fucking voice. <laughs> I did. That's my, that's my acting, that's my values. amazing acting. That's fantastic. Um, could you do it one more time and we won't talk under you and then could people rip it and do it and make it their ringtone? Well, it's already in the game, isn't it? Yeah, but you, but you doing it means we get to control okay, you okay. like a puppet. All right. <laughs> All right, I'll give you two lines, ready? Okay. Welcome to the Circus of Values. Come back when you got some money, buddy. Sweet, sweet. I'm I my actually I'm in demand in L.A. for my acting. Well, it's so this funny, is it's such an iconic sound in the game. Like when I hopped into Infinite and I heard that voice, I was just like, "Oh God, I'm you see, home." You see, I've grown as an actor now. I, You've gotten I a lot better. The vending machine in the new game too. I yeah. really, I've really developed as an actor. <laughs> then you can sort of then you could be some sort of a sentient apartment for in Logan's run. Hey Logan. Hey Logan. Hey, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to do it now. Warner, Warner, Warner Brothers just ripped up the agreement. Oh, uh, <laughs> you didn't say he was going to be a voice of this thing. Be a robot voice? No, fuck this. Um, and then Victoria's also want to know who would win in a debate, Comstock or Ryan? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one. Well, that would be hard because that would be like, you know, well, I mean, one of them is an atheist. So, you know, that would be that would be a tough one. I think they wouldn't really have, they wouldn't have a lot of common ground to even debate upon. I mean, I guess I would think the atheist would win, and somebody. That's what, that's what would be my answer. <laughs> As too. an atheist, they, it comes up with a hard time winning in that debate, in my in my view. Yeah. Um, this is from Bloodnick. What lessons have you learned from Bioshock Infinite that you are going to take on to future projects with you? Um, you know, you think. I, I think I've learned well, something we we learned a lot about like telling story and narrative and things like that. I don't think I've like said, Oh my God, I'm never going to do that again. You know, anything, anything from the game. I think that I don't necessarily like to re- repeat ourselves as much. I think that 
I'd be very, I don't know. I guess the answer is I don't know whether I don't, I don't think I learned very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like try to answer, give you a smart answer, but I don't know. I, I don't think, I, I don't know if I've took away lessons or small things like, Hey, like let's balance the weapon. This kind of weapon should be balanced that way. Or that kind of weapon should be balanced that way. But most things that happen in, in that game, in that period of time, that weren't what we wanted it to be was really a function of time and production, you know, production limitations and things like that. Like I, when I finished Bioshock 1, I was definitely like, wow, the third, I really shouldn't have killed off Ryan when I did. Because um, he left the last third of the game really with a, not a lot left to do. But I don't really have any big takeaways like that this time. There are things that people, you know, that I like more and like less, but nothing that I like big solid takeaways. Are you okay? Are you good with completion in the sense of can you walk away from it and go, that's, you know, that's done. We finished it. We're like when it, when it, when everything was done and it was delivered, are you, or did you feel that your soul was satisfied? Like, this is it. Or are, we, are you still like, oh, if I could just die. No, are you I, a noodler? I, I could noodle on it forever. I don't, I think I know that it's probably not a good idea. Like, you know, it's, I think it, it's done. Like, I think that game is done and I could noodle on it forever, but I don't think that's necessarily productive. It's hard because you, I, I'm sure that, you know, especially, Four and a half years of your life is a significant amount yeah. of time to spend on one thing. Yeah. I mean, that's people could have numerous jobs and do numerous things in four and a half years that, you know, that I, I often wonder when you're working on something that long, how do you retain your enthusiasm for that thing at year three when you're like, we're three years in, we still got another year left. I mean, it's like, you know, hour eight of a 16 hour flight. But that's ne- that's never a problem because it's constantly evolving for me. Always like it's always like it's I'm always trying to make it better, and the team's always trying to make it better, and I'm always learning. Like the pinky stuff, like you know, I'll come home one day, and like we'll have thought of that, and all of a sudden, like I'm so enthusiastic again because I feel like oh now I can now I've made progress towards telling this story. I'm I don't get fatigue from that. I think that it's not, but I don't necessarily think it's a, I think that is a long time to spend on one thing and i don't think for, looking at the arc of your life it's probably you want to spend a little less time on something than more time on something do you think do you think there's going to be any any uh any easter eggs in logan's run from bioshock yeah. or any of your favorite games or anything sort of like well not not <laughs> not just not really not good. just songbird but you know it's like it was like you know hearing ellen mclean in pack rim you know like as the right, voice right, of right. like hearing glados basically I mean, when I when I, I showed saying, you the trailer for Pac-Man, you were like, "Oh my god!" Like it totally. I, I think I cried a little. A bit. little bit, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's 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 Guillermo being very smart and realizing that <laughs> he knows his audience. Well, well, he's a fan, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a fan, and he knows yeah. his audience too. And 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 this, you know, that we there's way is like that's that's um, what do you call it? That that is um fan service but in a way that's really smart but also genuine and true to it doesn't break it for somebody who doesn't they don't it's not anything less for somebody who doesn't right. know who she is and you also don't you know, i don't get the sense that he's like these kids will recognize this is like that's obviously a thing he loves oh, and he, he wanted to pay homage deal, to you know? it a hundred percent he's the real deal did you find a question that you want to ask before oh it's we... a dumb question i feel like this might be well Okay, somebody says here, what do you think of people getting tattoos? The Dancing Dynamo, he says, what do you think of people getting tattoos of or related to your work? Do you find it flattering or entirely too much? And I think it's really funny because I see people that get the, they get the, the tattoos of the, yeah. the chains. Yeah. Like, do you guys, why are, what? <laughs> why are you getting those? I, I, I think that, you know, I don't think there's anything more flattering than somebody 
permanently altering their body related <laughs> to what you do. I think that um, I think people find meaning in, in symbols that sometimes you never even intended. Like the chains came out of Rob Waters, one of our artists, um, just had that idea, that concept. It was, that didn't come out of. It wasn't something I said. Oh, he should have chains on his hand. So I don't even know if Rob. I just thought he thought it was. A, I'm not sure. I'd have to ask Rob. But I thought Keith just thought it was a cool visual. Um, and when when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's great! You know, let's let's do it." Because it was. And then people started putting it on their hands. And I th- bet if you asked ten people what that meant to them, it'd probably get ten different, different answers. Things, yeah. Um, because like probably you know what you're saying, I think is very valid. Is like, well, they imply that this guy was a slave. Yeah. I think probably, but also he, you know, he he broke free, you know, to some degree from that slavery. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's what. Maybe that's I can't say because I didn't get a tattoo in my hand. I don't have any tattoos, but I'm guessing there's more for the story of his life rather than yes. just what and it actually means. Because I think a lot of people probably feel, look, you know, you go to some job and you're not thrilled with it. You got some boss. You know, some people probably feel a little right. bit like you know somebody else is is pulling the strings on them, and it's maybe their way of saying, well, maybe that's not how I feel about it. You know, right? Here's a good question from uh, Peruka. Um, seeing as how the actors have a direct impact on characters, how did working with Troy and Courtney change uh, the story of Infinite? Um, so in a couple ways. One is when you have a strong actor, you, they make their strengths apparent to you, and then you write to those strengths. Um, if, if fighting against an actor's strengths is not a, a great idea. Um, so they both came in very strong as to the, what the characters I wanted, but they would often there'd be a line which I would write and that come in and I have it um, and I would think like oh this is a great line or this and it comes in and when the actor reads it it's just not the lines just not the right line for them um, and quite often they would say well what if I said this and they would you know recraft the line and something that was more attuned to their voice and almost every time it was exactly the right thing they had excellent instincts um, they really understood the characters they really understood they meant in the larger story. And frankly, they had to put a lot of trust in me because that story was evolving all the time. And, um, and there were, um, you know, things that would change in it that were substantial and they would just roll with the punches. Um, and, um, so I think that if you have good actors, you know, you have to put a lot of trust in them. And that was a, I, I believe that was probably one of the most trusting creative experience I've ever been in working with those guys. So this is just two more questions. Um, accidentist, I, I, this is almost an un- <laughs> not dentist accidentus. Oh, like it's I like accidentus. Yeah, yeah. accidentist. Yeah, Oops. somebody I wouldn't want to. <laughs> that was the guy in the Midwest who gave all those people hepatitis by reusing. I, I had a dentist whose name was his actual name is Doctor Payne. I, really? I kid you not. I have a gynecologist whose name is Doctor Uzi. <laughs> I knew I, I knew a girl who's I knew a girl whose gynecologist was Dr. Cherry. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, what is the name? Oh my God! Whoa, Dr. shit! Uzi. I gotta I gotta look him up. Is it? How's it spelled? U z z i. He's Israeli. Wait a minute. What is his? Oh yeah. Uh, and then my uh, man doctor for this uh, region down here, Dr. Dicky. <laughs> oh no! Wait, that's my eye doctor, Doctor Dickey's my eye oh, doctor. Oh, you don't want to get those what's two a, mixed what's up. A, what's a man doctor? You know, for the for the wiener. You have a special penis doctor. Well, the urologist. Okay. Oh, his name's. Oh, the, we call him the Cockter, right? Okay, right. Uh, up top. Well played, Cockter. Who? Cockter. Um, he uh, uh, yeah, Doctor Dickey is for the eyes. Doctor Bender. 
Oh, the urologist. I'm not. A, I'm sure. I'm not as. I'm as not excited about having a, a urologist named Doctor Bender as he is probably not as excited as having a patient whose last name is Hardwick. Um, <laughs> the uh, so this this is an unanswerable question, by the way. But I think that the soul of it might be something that would inspire. Why do most stories in video games suck? Is it lack of money, time, publishers ruining the game, a combination of all three? What's the biggest hurdle when 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 creating a story in a video game? I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Okay. So when I was working on Star Trek game I mentioned before, this is my first thing writing ever did in the industry before. And um, I wrote the, you know what, you know the cold opener is? On a, on a yeah. TV show. So I was trying to write a cold opener for the game, you know, which on Star Trek, it's encounter something and there's a big moment of tension and then they cut to da, 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 da. Yeah, Exactly. So the cold opener I wrote was very standard. It was, it was Star Trek Voyager and Janeway. There's like, they encountered a ship and the ship, opens fire them and the last one i remember writing was janeway's eyes widen as the plasma torpedo approaches the enterprise or whatever ship the voyager and the guy who was one of my, ended up being one of the co-founders for rational who was the lead programmer on the game said ken you see janeway and she was like a 64 by 64 pixel <laughs> Sierra, Sierra Adventure those eyes are not going to fucking widen they're not going to reflect anything and I, and I realize oh my god I'm writing I'm not writing to the media here I'm writing I think I'm writing a movie still I've got to figure out how to write for this media and I think that's um, you either you have people I think that's the biggest problem is either you have writers who come in from who aren't in the studio and they get hired as a contractor and they haven't written for games and um, or you have game writers who don't who haven't immersed themselves in storytelling outside of, you know, the matrix and the, which, and actually the matrix is brilliant storytelling, but they've only seen like a few things. They've only seen a few science fiction things. They haven't exposed themselves to, you know, a broader range of storytelling. So like I steal liberally from, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Kubrick and all these other people, because I'm a huge movie fan and I'm a huge, you know, uh, uh, and so I'll steal from all these. I'm also love science fiction. I love uh, fans, but, but I, I steal from a broader range of places. Like I said, the film noir and, and thief, for instance. Um, and so their, their, their reference points are smaller. And it's also just really hard to write for games because you're not, when you write a screenplay, you can sit down and basically write whatever you want to write. And then they will look at it and figure out, can, can we do this on a budget or not? And they'll say, well, can you re- go rewrite the scene without that? But games are, every time you try to change something or write something, it's like, okay, if I want another character in the screen, we can't just hire an extra. It's like somebody's got to go model that character and you only have 25 models or whatever in the entire game. And you really have to write to the metal, as they say. You know, like um, you have to write specifically to the assets you have, the resources you have, um, to the animations you have, to the environments you have. And that, that's a that's a really acquired skill, and it takes a long time to learn that. For me, remember, I'm the president of the company, so I can put a I can put a kind of premium and importance on the narrative that, say, I know I have a good friend who's a writer who isn't the president of the company, and he has to constantly fight for the narrative in a way that I don't have to, right? Because I can say, well, this really matters, and and we're going to do it. Um, you know, we're going to spend the money on it. We spend the resources on it, but there's only so many resources and money you have. So that means something else is going to, you know, is going to give yeah. way. Time, money, quality. Exactly. Exactly. And you get two. Yeah. Exactly. And and so you know, so I think it's I think it's a really I think game narrative is very 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 tough. And there's you know there's a few other reasons. I'm sure there's probably others that I'm thinking. Of. Why is it when I run up to people in Colombia they won't look at me? Yeah, I mean that's you know like. You also have that basic problem, like when you have 
game characters aren't like you uh, i talked about this for elizabeth like when you hire an actor to use a scene they just bring a certain amount of software with them yeah you know, like elizabeth didn't have any of that software so the work we did to make her feel natural and i think she had the guy said a great job and she ended up feeling very very natural every we had to think about every mm. single moment everything the player might do mm. and she had no soft we had a she had no natural software, you know, she didn't do anything just by default. We had to create all of that. And so with film, you can hire a good actor and we have the voices. We can do that with the voices and for the actress can bring that to the voices, but the performance really all had to come out of a million things intersecting and working properly together. We didn't get any benefit of a natural human in the room. Yeah. One final question. Uh, this is from Alpha Nexus. Who would win a no holds barred beard match? Your beard or pre twenty thirteen Tim Schafer's beard? Oh. Since Schaefer, I'll fight. My beard will fucking fight your beard. <laughs> you name the place, you name the time, and I will be there. Oh my god! Uh, well, it's past beard, right? I think. Uh, is he not have beard to go anymore? Into the past. You know pre what? pre pre twenty thirteen, yeah. He pussied out. He knew. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Manhattan's dick just got a little uh, harder than it was before at this beard talk. You grow another beard, Schaefer, and I'll see Sweetie, you next year. Beard? What? What? What are you talking about? He's, no, he's not gay. He's totally not gay. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 you know, if I were, I'd be in better shape and dress better. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being here, Ken Levine. And this was a—it's been really nice to get to know you a little bit. And we had that phone conversation. I'm like, I want to fucking hang out with this guy. So thank you for spending time. And I hope that we get to hang out offline. You know, whenever you have time, or, or you know, when I'm on the East Coast, we can hang out online too. You know. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> again, what's your gamer? T- <laughs> what's your gamer tag? The one question that'll send any game developer into like, what? What? I, 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 do you have a public one? Uh, Major Nelson asked me that several years ago, and I answered him, and that was the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> Especially because like an Xbox Live, like, because I, I, I'm trying to be nice, and like when I would reject people's gamer tag requests, I'd have to like write them a long note, and I'm writing like, all these long notes with that fucking, you know, I'm sorry that I already have the full, and I'm sorry that you yeah. can't. Uh, don't be hurt your feelings hurt that was not a good time in my life you're a people pleaser uh ken thank you so much for being here and congratulations on everything and and uh, and i can't wait to uh to see logan's run which is probably still several years away but i'm excited about it uh and thanks to our gaming for submitting a bunch of questions and thanks for matt and jonah for not being here so chloe you could sit in because you know more about bioshock than they do uh quite frankly um thanks everyone enjoy your burrito now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the cat in the hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.